You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a four-part series of messages Robert A. Cook presented from the Book of Philippians at Founders Week 1982. Robert A. Cook was a Moody Bible Institute graduate, president of King's College in New York, and radio host of Walk with the King. Now, here is Robert A. Cook on Today in the Word radio. We've been in the Book of Philippians, you and I, and I've been trying to present some practical implications of the truth of these chapters. Chapter 1, Christ my life. What does it mean that Christ is my life? To me to live is Christ. Chapter 2, Christ my Lord. What does it mean that Christ is Lord of all? Today, Christ my goal, my role model, my example, the ultimate achievement of my life to know Him. What does that really involve? Let me read some of these verses with you, if I may, from Philippians chapter 3. What things were gained to me, verse 7, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For him I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection out from among the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I don't think I have it made. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is the ultimate model, the ultimate role model. The, to know Him is the ultimate achievement of Christian living. Now, how does that work out in terms of implementing it in everyday life? Some very simple truths here, which if you nail them down in your own thinking, will, I assure you, make you different in your lifestyle and in your attitudes and in your decisions. First of all, there's a value judgment that has to be made. Is the Lord Jesus Christ, as Lord of your life, as the one with whom you are identified and the one for whom you are living, is He worth what He costs? I recall praying with a lady in a, a series of meetings down in Florida a good many years ago now. The memory, however, is clear and fresh in my mind. After the service, I did as I often do in the inquiry room. I walked from one person to another and sort of listened in on the praying and the conversation just to see how they were getting along. I came to this one little group of people who were uh, seated around a lady who obviously was a person of some means, fashionably dressed with a mink stole, uh, casually draped over the, the back of her chair. And she was listening attentively, but they seemed not to be getting anywhere in their conversation, in their praying. And so I joined in and spoke a while, and I found this 
to be the problem. She said, Mr. Cook, my husband has told me that if I ever became a Christian, he would divorce me immediately. She said, I simply cannot face that eventuality. I can't do it. And she picked up her mink stole, walked to the door, walked on out, and as I looked out the window, I saw her get into her brand new Cadillac and drive off into the night with an empty heart, having made a value judgment. Now, not everyone is faced with a decision as starkly tragic in its potential as that lady, admittedly so. But you are, and I am, making value judgments every day. This morning's Tribune has a feature story about some young people from Buffalo Grove who made an experiment a day or so ago by going into a large department store and deliberately engaging in shoplifting. They were conducting an experiment, they said, under the guidance of their professor to find out how many people really care about what's going on, care enough, that is, to say anything about it. They stuffed their pockets full with the owner's permission, you may be sure. They stuffed their pockets full of uh, wristwatches and gadgets, uh, clothing, articles of clothing and whatnot, walking here and there and just deliberately shoplifting. Nobody said a word. Nobody sounded an alarm. The worst that was done was that somebody, they said, gave them a dirty look. And one little boy followed one young person outside of the store to see if he could mooch a donation in the process. That, you see, is the morality of the day in which we live. Don't make waves. Don't upset anything. Don't stick your neck out. Uh, don't, don't raise any issues. Uh, of course they're doing it, but don't you bother. That's a value judgment, isn't it? Of course it is. Now, Paul said, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all of those things, his background, his, his, his ethnic roots, his religious training, his successful career, his acceptance among his own people, all of these things, he said, I simply count them but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but refuge, our word garbage, refuse, uh, that I may win Christ and be found in him. I think if you want really to make Christ your ultimate achievement in terms of knowing him, you will have to come to a place where you say there isn't anything in all the world as important as Jesus. Now we're back to the initial point that our brother MacArthur raised in his first message when he spoke of the fact that Mary sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. What is important? If you have your choice between housework and worship, you know what to choose. If you have your choice between recreation and Jesus, you know what to choose. If you have your choice between money and Jesus, you know what to choose. There is nothing in all the world as important as Jesus Christ. That is the basic value judgment you're going to have to make if you want to know him. Now you can see how that impinges immediately upon daily life. We have a great many pastors here. Every pastor has gone through what I'm about to tell you. You approach a lady and you say, Mrs. Probosniak, say, I'd like to have you take charge of the junior department in our vacation Bible school. 
March is coming up, and March is the time when you start to plan for your summer Bible school so that it doesn't catch you by surprise. And I'd like to have you do the junior department. Oh, she says, Pastor, I would love to do it, but, and you know that you've lost it right there. She goes on, however, to explain. She says, I would love to do it, but I can't. Because, you see, I have just taken a job so that I can help my husband to pay for the second car that he has in order to commute to his second job. And you think about that a while, it'll get to you. <laughs> Take a second job, you end up working for your wheels, fellas. But anyhow, uh, unless you have a wife who will help you pay for it, as she did. So she says, I'm awfully sorry. I'd love to be in the VBS. I'd love to take charge of the junior department. I know that it's a wonderful opportunity. You've been trying to sell her on this, you know. I know that there are a great many young people that can be reached that way that would never be reached in the half hour we have on Sunday morning in Sunday school. I'm awfully sorry, but I have to have this job to help my husband pay for his second car so he can commute to his second job. Now, is there anything morally wrong with what she's done, yes or no? No. Nothing morally wrong with what she's done. It's not wrong to work. It's not wrong to buy a car. It's not wrong to help your husband. Some husbands wish you'd help them more, I presume. Well, what then am I criticizing? Simply to say that she made a value judgment. She said it is more important to have a job than to work in VBS. It's that simple. And you, you make a value judgment when uh, this tall, dark, and handsome ham uh, girls invites you out for a date. Now he's one that you've had your eye on because let's, let's, let's make it an impossible situation. His father is filthy rich and owns half the town. He drives to, uh, to high school in a, a Mercedes-Benz convertible. $39,000 uh, worth of gorgeous machinery. Uh, let's make him smart. This is impossible, but make him smart. <laughs> And then, to compound the felony, let's make him a gentleman. You know, he doesn't drive up to the front uh, uh, door and then beep, 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 blow the horn so you come out. No, he parks the car, he gets out of the car, he uh, rings the, the front doorbell, he greets your father who comes down to check him out, and then he takes you, he opens the door of the car, he puts you in it gently, everything's wonderful. You have achieved now something you've been wanting for some time. You've gotten his attention, he's asked you for a date, you're actually sitting in that luxurious leather seat of this Mercedes convertible, and everything is right with the world. You say, where are we going tonight? He says, oh, I thought I'd take you over to the Purple Onion. It's a beautiful nightclub, and they've got a show there. It's a little bawdy, but you won't mind, and we'll have a drink or two, and everything will be all right. Now what are you going to do? If you tell him that you're not that type of person and that you're on a little different wavelength and that you'd rather go to Founders Week, you know? <laughs> I got to keep in good with the boss. <laughs> you tell him you'd rather go to Founders Week, you have blown it. You know, he'll look at you and say, don't think I didn't have a good time because I didn't. Uh, <laughs> and so all of this flashes through your mind momentarily. Shall I give up the possibility of finally snaring this handsome, rich, gentle, good young man who is unsaved? Or shall I tell him now where I'm coming from and where I stand? Big choice, isn't it? Oh, yes, it is. A value judgment. You have to decide, ladies and gentlemen, whether Jesus is worth what he costs you. You have to decide whether he's worth what he costs you. Paul made that decision. 
He said, look, anything else is just like so much garbage for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. And you don't go through life bemoaning what you gave up. Deliver me from the person who says with a tremulant in his voice, oh, it's a hard life, you know, not an easy road, but pray for me that I'll hold out faithful to the end. Oh, drop dead. <laughs> you never in the world heard a person who got something that he thought was, was excellent bemoaning it. Here's a 16-year-old boy, a typical American boy. He, if you let him, he would live on hamburgers and milkshakes and French fries. You can never get him to go to bed on time. Even when you force him to go to bed, when you check out later, he's, he's vibrating gently to the tune of some rock and roll station that he has coming in on the radio under his pillow, you know. Everything he does is against the, the rules of, of normal growing up conduct. He's a typical American boy. Now, he comes home one day after, after school. He says, Ma, what's for supper? You say, well, I'm sorry, son. All we've got is roast beef and potatoes and spinach. He says, that's great. You said, what'd, I, what'd, what'd you say? He said, that's great. I've got to have a lot of lean meat, a lot of leafy vegetables. What do we got for dessert? You said, nothing but some fresh fruit. That's wonderful. I've got to have some, a lot of fresh fruit, a lot of lean meat, a lot of leafy vegetables. And you say, son, sit down. You're sick. <laughs> no, he said, I'm not sick. Everything's fine. What are you, anything that I have to do after supper? No, just stay out of my way and do your homework and try to go to bed at a decent hour. He said, that's great. I'm going to bed at 8.30. You say, now I know you're sick. Sit down, son. I'll send for Dr. Snoop. He'll be over here in a minute, and we'll take care of you. I know you're ill. No, Ma, I'm not sick. I'm feeling fine. But i got to have a lot of lean meat, a lot of leafy vegetables, a lot of fresh fruit, and a lot of sleep. And you say, what in the world is the matter with you? Oh, he says, nothing's the matter. I made the team today. I made the team. I must be a good football player. Because when the coach saw me, he said, this is the end. And we're going to beat old Siwash this year. We're just going to mop up the field with him. I'm on the team, Ma. Wonderful. Now, here's a boy who you couldn't drag with a team of horses to go to bed early. He's going to bed early. You couldn't force him to eat good food. He wants to eat good food. Why? Because he's got something so much better. You better decide whether Jesus is worth what he costs you. And that principle applies all the way through the rest of your life till you get home to glory. Second, you better concentrate on really knowing your Lord. Assuming that you've come to Christ and committed yourself to Him as your Lord and Savior at Calvary, asked for His forgiveness, repented of your sins, and trusted Him as your Lord, and that He has come in to dwell by His Holy Spirit, then what? Paul the Apostle was saved when he wrote Philippians 3.10. He said, oh, that I may know him. And you could interpolate the word really know him. Oh, that I may really know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Three indexes of knowing Christ. Divine power in your life, divine compassion in your heart, and divine resemblance in your life, Christ-likeness, conformable unto his death. These are the things you want to work at. Do you, as a matter of fact, have any divine power in your life, or are you just talking about the Christian life? 
young man whom I approached after a meeting in Los Angeles some years ago said to me, you couldn't do anything for me, preacher. Well, I said, I, I know that, but I know Jesus can. Do you want to talk to me or not? He says, yeah, I'll talk to you. And so he did. This was his story, a boy of 16. He was already mixed up with car theft and liquor and uh, drugs and sex. He was enrolled in the local high school, a fine-looking young man, but with a life that was completely messed up. Now, what are you going to do with a boy like that? Oh, you say, give him John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Give him, give him Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. Give him Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Give him Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. Hey, I got news for you. This boy, I found out, had just won the privilege of two weeks at camp for having learned letter-perfect 500 Bible verses. His mind was full of Scripture. His life was full of sin. And he was quite right in saying to me, Cook, you can't do anything for me. Well, we were able to get him in touch with Jesus, and God made the difference in his life and turned him around. Hallelujah for that. You better have a direct wire to heaven, mister, if you're going to deal with the needs of the world. People don't need advice. They need deliverance. People don't need advice. They don't need you to lecture them. If a man falls in the well, you don't stand there and say, you shouldn't have fallen in. People don't need you to lecture to them and moralize to them and tell them about how the, what they should have done. They need to be delivered. And the way to be delivered is to put them in touch with the power of the living Christ of God. People look for somebody with a heart. I think one of the things that our brother Dr. Sweeting has added to uh, the work of the Moody Bible Institute since his coming here has been the warmth of his great loving heart. You people must love this man who is your president, don't you? What a good, blessed, godly, warm person he is. People look for love. They look for somebody who cares. It isn't enough to say, well, let the Red Cross do it. Let the welfare do it. Let the police do it. Let the probation officer do it. Let the social worker do it. Let the pastor do it. Let George do it or whatever. It isn't enough to do that. The fellowship of his sufferings puts it right down where Jesus taught. He said, you take care of them. Give ye them to eat. The good Samaritan who after the uh, wounded man on the road to Jericho had been passed by by representatives of organized religion, the good Samaritan, it says, when he came where he was, had compassion on him. Greek, Greek verb there is plank nidzo. It broke his heart. It hurt him when he saw this man hurting and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, took him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he said to the innkeeper, you take care of him, and here's the money to do it. Jesus said, that's what you better do. The fellowship of Christ's sufferings means compassion, caring enough to do something about it. Compassion is not just feeling bad. Compassion is feeling bad enough to do something for somebody else. I tell our young people at the King's College, everybody you ever meet will be hurting somewhere. Find out where they're hurting and help to heal it. They'll appreciate it and they'll love you for it. Then he said, being made conformable unto his death, and that's Christ-likeness. The marks of the cross, what are they? They're the marks of having been close enough to Christ to share in his personality and his work and his concerns and his purpose 
and his cross, being made conformable. God is in the process of making you into a person that looks like Jesus. Let him do it. Mr. Moody was abroad in one of his overseas crusades. and There were some folk who prayed earnestly for him, particularly two maiden ladies who had taken Mr. Moody upon their hearts to pray daily for many hours for this great man of God. And when he got off the boat, they were there to meet him at New York. And one of them said to the other, as they spoke with him briefly and sensed the, the power in his life, for God had met him in a special way during those days, one of them said to the other, Mr. Moody has grown much heavenward. That's what you and I are afterwards. When people look at us, when people listen to us, when people meet us, when the atmosphere of our lives mingles with the, the atmosphere of their lives and the human radar that everyone possesses begins to sense what this person is all about, oh, then may they sense the reality of Jesus Christ. That's our prayer, isn't it? That's what we want. Now, the next thing we want to ask is this. Are you a spectator? or are you competing? He said, I don't consider that I've got it made. But he said, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth unto those things that are before, I press toward the mark for the prize. Those of you who study your Greek New Testament, you know this word, press toward the mark, is a picture word. It's the, it's the, it's the picture, actually, of a person in, in a, like a 100-yard dash or a distance runner who is nearing the tape. Every muscle is strained. Every ounce of his being is focused into the effort to win that race. Pressing toward the mark, his body actually is leaning toward the tape. You've seen this happen. And, and he's doing his very best to get there before his competition. That's the word. He says, every ounce of my being is focused on the effort to win the prize, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, it's good sermon material to preach on the, the calling of the Christian. There's six or seven different points that you can raise, and it makes a good sermon. But this is one of them. It's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, to be like him to be like him, to fit into his eternal purposes, to achieve, Paul says, if that I may lay hold of that for which also Christ laid hold on me. This truth was, was ingrained in my thinking early on in my own adolescence. My father and I uh, lived together in one room that in those days was called a light housekeeping room. Today they call them a kitchenette apartment. It sounds a little nicer. But it's the same thing. Uh, in that room, uh, there was a sink. On one side of the room, there was a stove, two stoves, actually, a, a little heating stove and then a cook stove. On the other side of the room, there was a table and a china uh, cabinet on the third side of the room. And there was a, a double bed on the fourth side of the room. And that was home sweet home to me during high school years. My sister had gone to the Moody Bible Institute and had graduated and was then serving as Dr. P.W. Philpott's uh, secretary. He was pastor Moody Church. So my father and I were there together during those adolescence, high school, growing up years. 
Oftentimes he would, he was a great lecturer. He would have made a very fine minister had he been allowed to get a formal education. Uh, I was his captive audience. And when he talked to you, you had to stand still and listen. He sat down, but you stood up. And he would start and say, now boy, I told you the other day, he always called me boy. He never could remember my name. <laughs> he'd say, now boy, I want to tell you something. And he'd launch then into a discussion of the fact that God had some special plans for his son, Charlie Cook's son, Robert Cook. God had some special plans. And he would look at me through those, those piercing blue eyes over the edge of his spectacles, and he'd say, my boy, I want you to be sure that you get in to the kind of work that God has planned for you. Don't miss it. You want the kind of a life that God wants you to have. And he would pound that in. Well, I must say, as every adolescent uh, experiences, I would far rather at that point have been out in the alley playing stickball than listen to his, his lecture. But a lot of it soaked in. Parents, small thought here. Never despair when you're trying to tell your small fry something. You don't think they're listening. That's part of the act. They're not, they don't want you to know how much is, is soaking in. So if they appear not to be listening, don't give up. It's getting in all right, but they wouldn't let you know. End of detour. You're going to need that, some of you mothers and dads, before the week is over. Yes, I got it. Yes, I heard it. Yes, it soaked in. And yes, today, quite a few years later, I'm reflecting the deep conviction that Jesus has some plans for you that are particularly yours and specifically tailored to your personality. And from all eternity, he has been planning that you should be the kind of person that can honor and glorify him in a special way. Paul says in Romans 12, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us. It's God's grace that you are what you are. Not all of us can sing like Beverly Shea, and not all of us can preach like Dr. Sweeting, and not all of us can write like some of the famous writers of our day. And not all of us can defend the Christian faith like Francis Schaeffer. It, we have different gifts. Some of us have simply the gift of, of helps, and some have the gift of hospitality, and some have the gift, as Paul points out in Romans 12, of sharing uh, with others and uh, of showing mercy. Yes, there are other gifts, gifts of supervision, gifts of teaching, gifts of preaching, and so on. But God has made you what you are so that you could be specially his own. He died and rose again, it said, to purify unto himself a peculiar people. That means a people for his own possession. He wants you to be especially his own in a way that he planned from all eternity. So what's, what's involved here? Number one, find out who and what you are. Make an inventory of your own life. What can you do well? What do you do poorly? What do you do not at all? What are the possibilities in your life? You'd be amazed at some of the areas that you have never explored in terms of the potential for God. Do an inventory of your own personality. Write down the things, as I say, that you do well, the things you do not so well, the things where you think you're a failure, and pray about them and ask God to begin to work in your life 
and to, to make you to conform to the beauties of Christ in those areas and ask him to help you lay hold on the thing that he has had in mind since before he ever created the world. Second, start competing instead of being a participator, instead of being a spectator, I should say. Start competing instead of sitting on the 50-yard line of life. Many of us look at religious work as something for which we pay or are paid, as the case may be. Actually, it's a warfare. Stand therefore, he said, having your loins girt about with truth and so on, having done all, when the dust is settled and the battle is over, you'll still be on your feet, says Paul in Ephesians 6. It's a warfare. It's a battle. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It's a jungle, and you are the target. Start competing. Start being in there. Start running the race. Start doing something instead of talking about it. Today, students, pastors, missionaries, Christian workers, homemakers, today, before you pillow your head in sleep tonight, make sure that you do at least one thing that you know was the will of God for you today. Start doing something about God's will. I press, said he, toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, that I may know him, that I may lay hold, said he, of that for which also Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Remember this, dear friend, the Lord laid hold of you. He has his hand on you. He's not about to let go of you. If you persist in wanting your own way, he'll discipline you, but he's got his hand on you. Being confident of this thing, Paul said in Philippians 1, 6, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has so much invested in you, ladies and gentlemen, that he's not about to let you waste it. So let's work on this matter. Let's make that value judgment today. Is Christ worth what it costs me? Is he worth more than everything else in the world? Make that decision. Am I doing what I need to get to know him? Is there power in my life? Is there compassion in my life? Is there a growing Christ-likeness in my life? Am I merely sitting on the 50-yard line of life, or am I in there in the game, in the battle? These are things to think about if you want to measure up to God's plans for your life. Let's bow in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. In this moment, as we bow before our blessed Lord, would you consider where you fit in this bundle of truth? Where is it that God has spoken to your heart? What is it that God has said to you you ought to start doing to obey him? What is it that God is whispering to your heart by way of active participation in his will instead of simply being an onlooker? What is it that God has pointed out as being an area where you need to grow? in his matchless grace and in Christ-likeness. Would you think about that just now? And would you yield yourself to him in a special way while we're praying? Holy Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commit ourselves to thee and we pray that as thou hast given him to us as our role model, as our leader, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who always leads us in triumph, as thou hast given Christ to us as Savior and Lord and King, wilt thou also make our lives to reflect 
His glory. We all with open face beholding the glory of the Lord changed into the same image. Oh, to be like Him. Be like Jesus. This my song in the home and in the throng. Fulfill, we pray thee, that heartfelt desire through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and one of four messages Robert A. Cook presented from the Book of Philippians at Founders Week in 1982. Robert A. Cook was a Moody Bible Institute graduate, president of King's College in New York, and radio host of Walk with the King. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.